Welcome to the prosthetic experience. For many, understanding what it means to have a prosthetic rather than a natural limb is very hard to comprehend. We understand what a prosthetic is at a basic level, but we do not understand how its limits impact a person physically, mentally, and emotionally in the ways that the boundaries of the human body are being redefined. Episode 4, A Prosthetist's Perspective, features a retired prosthetist, Elliot Weintraub, a former Olympian who ran a prosthetic and orthotic practice for almost 30 years in the DMV area. In this episode, you will hear about the unique stories of amputees he has worked with, his perspective on the changing field, and the ways his unique experiences had shaped his career. This is the prosthetic experience. Hey Elliot, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited for this discussion. I think a big part of the research I've been doing and the connections I've made with people in the field has really come from you. So I wanted to thank you for that before we started. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity and I've listened to some of the other podcasts you produce and, and they're impressive. So this is Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. So first, I wanted to discuss your career path of becoming a prosthetist, and that's from all your experiences and even your experiences in the Olympics and triathlons. I, I saw that you did the Ironman triathlon, which is the hardest triathlon in the world, and um, really just how all these experiences might have shaped your interests. So first, just introduce yourself and kind of tell us about your career path. Sure. Uh, so my name is Elliot Weintraub. I am a certified prosthetist orthotist. Uh, worked in the field for about 30 years, but now have stepped down from my position and trying to enjoy a little different lifestyle. Having yeah. said that, uh, let's you, you would mention the Olympics, which in and of themselves are not a defining moment, but I think there's an element of that that's important to talk about. So <clears throat> when I was training back in the late 80s and early 90s, we had a coach. His name was Bill Endicott. And this is not your average coach. This is an individual who had two degrees from Harvard. He was an officer in the Marine Corps. He spoke at least five languages, um, including Chinese and Russian. So that gives you a bit of an idea of what this person was like. He believed that anyone could become a student of anything. And if you work hard enough and study every aspect of it, you could get good. And that's how he went about coaching his athletes. And he surrounded, we surrounded ourselves, you know, with the best of the best, whether that was on a national level or an international level. So at a very young age, I'm about 18 as this is all beginning, you're being mentored by a phenomenal individual. And you're yeah. learning, you, you learn how to win. You learn how to do things at a very high level. And I think while at the time, probably didn't even understand how this was shaping me, um, or I thought of it primarily as sport, this became essentially a foundation for life. And it was very important to this individual, again, Bill Endicott, he didn't want to only see us succeed in sport, but he was committed to making sure that we transitioned into life and that we were successful there. Because in his mind, 
if he just coached us for five or 10 years and then that was it and we weren't successful moving into the next phase of life, then he was a failure. So he took it very seriously to make sure that we understood that there was a lot more to life than just sport. Wow. So really good foundation. I got lucky there. Yeah. Yeah, that's such an inspirational way of like, I guess, approaching life. So then from there, like, how did that kind of influence or even affect your um, career path and becoming a prosthetist? Yep. So I, I, I was fortunate. My mother founded the practice, Orthotic Prosthetic Center, in 1980. She was the first female, first or second female CPO in the country. Oh, wow. Very much a man-driven field at the time. So she was certainly unique in what she was doing. I personally, at the time, I was 15 years old. I can't say that I had an interest. Again, my interests were in whitewater kayaking. But in her having a practice, it gave me the opportunity to understand, obviously, what she was doing. But we had a lab where everything was made. Yeah. And it just so happens that the crossover between prosthetics and whitewater kayaks, when you start to look at the materials, are almost identical. So I very quickly. Yeah. um, And that was that was luck. Um, Again, there's there's no doubt there's a lot of luck in this story. But I had an interest in being in the lab and, you know, it's essentially a material science education that was very enjoyable and learning to work on all this equipment. And a very important part of being in a kayak or whitewater canoe is how you're seated in there and how comfortable it is. And all this equipment we had enabled me to work on my own boats and learn how to use these machines and understand what the different materials could be helpful for. So sort of giving myself a little bit of an education, which little did I know would cross over very nicely into the prosthetic world 10 years later. Yeah, that's so interesting how like the similarities between one of your passions can help you pursue this other passion. Um, That's really, really cool. Right. So fast forward, long story short, my mother primarily ran the business uh, with very high tech orthotics. So very different aspect um, of medicine. I my passion very quickly went to prosthetics. So over time, there was a period where we did work together. And then eventually I bought the practice out. Um, she retired and went on her way and it became primarily a prosthetic practice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think just some background for the listeners. I went into your practice around a year ago and I was able to see the fabrication process and kind of the, um, a little bit of the high tech aspect of prosthetics through how you guys are fabricating prosthetics at uh, medical center, orthotics and prosthetics. And I just wanted to talk about how there's also all these flaws that are still in prosthetics. There's the sweat uh, factor. There's the um, long fabrication times. 
there's the accessibility factor. So really, what is your perspective on the way that technology is being improved in uh, the prosthetics industry and how have you seen that in your work? Sure. So uh, you're 100% correct. We are far from perfect in the prosthetic world. I think if you look at where technology has helped us, you know, we, we steal from whether it's, you know, what's going on in space research, but we're getting better at our own R&D, but yeah. we could still improve. So, for example, and I think Dr. Cardi, which was, by the way, a great interview, love the way you took care of that. Um, he brought up some very interesting points. So we have fantastic technology that's in our prosthetic componentry. So, for example, you can have a prosthetic knee that has this microprocessor technology. And just to explain that very quickly, if you think about your, your phone, um, your phone has two things that really make it fly, a gyroscope and an accelerometer. So yeah. those two things allow your phone to know where it is in space and essentially the direction it's moving in. And that's why we can have all these mapping programs. That's why you can hold your phone vertically or horizontally. So if you go ahead and steal that technology, apply that to a microprocessor knee, now as an individual with an above-knee amputation, as they're walking, the knee knows whether, the, whether or not they're moving forward or backwards. It also knows what is happening as far as that their knee angle. So for example, if all of a sudden a knee angle becomes very extreme and very fast, more than likely that person is falling. So you have an algorithm built in the, to the knee that can detect a million different things and essentially prevent that fall. It will catch the person. Yeah. So these are super interesting times as far as what we can do with technology. Where we're coming up short is, and I think Dr. Cardi touched on this and you're aware of it, is prosthetic sockets, while we've improved somewhat and the materials have gotten lighter, the design hasn't changed tremendously. Yeah. And that's the weak link. I think osseo integration, while it's not the answer for everything, and there are challenges with it. Obviously, infection can occur. Um, you don't want to risk destroying one's femur or if it's transtibial, meaning below the knee, you don't want to damage their tibia. But if we can remove the socket interface and let's face it, osseo integration. And for the listeners who are not familiar with this, it removes the equation of the socket. And in a crude manner of speaking, you put a, abutment into the individual's bone, more often than not, the femur. Um, and after multiple surgeries, there's a linkage that comes through the skin and you literally can click on your prostheses. So if we can advance to OI being, let's just call it safer, more yeah. practical, 
and then have this neuro link and then incorporate microprocessor, bionic, you know, all of the, even AI, now we're talking. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. I think the future is looking bright. I say this a lot in my other podcasts, but um, I think there's so much technology out there and phones and all these places that we can steal for to better the prosthetics industry. And I think it's being done right now with all these bionics and all of the, the new technology that's being developed. Uh, so really talking about that, um, what are the ways that you see the industry going well? And then what is your vision for the future of the prosthetics industry and all of that? So my vision is that in time, OI becomes cost-effective, safe, and allows us to eliminate a socket interface. And then obviously, like we've just mentioned, we introduce from that connection point downward um, as much technology as possible. Now, the challenge becomes, how do we get the insurance companies on board? How do we pay for all this technology? And that's forever going to be challenging. I don't have the answer to that one. Yeah, no, it's such a tough problem. I think I'm trying to tackle that with my universal fit prosthetic, but um, I mean, really accessibility is on a global scale a problem. It's There's around 30 to 40 million people in developing countries who are in need of prosthetics. Um, for an amputee, like it, without a limb, they can't live their life to the fullest. They can't do all these things that they need to do. They, they can't work their jobs or uh, make an income for their family a lot of times because they are unable to move around. And uh, so it's really such a big problem. I think accessibility is honestly the foremost issue in prosthetics right now. It's super important. And keep in mind, if you're going from nothing to something, you will change someone's life. They do not. Sure, we want everyone to have state-of-the-art everything, but if we can just get someone up and walking, that's a fantastic step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's a really tough problem. But I have been seeing some interesting stuff. I um I looked into the work of MIT Media Lab and what they're doing with the high-tech stuff. But they also are doing some initiatives with the low-tech prosthetics and the accessibility issue. Um, they created this van that goes around and... Uh, one of these developing countries, I'm not sure, and they just make and assemble prosthetics for local communities that they find in this van. And um, so I, th- I think the future is there, there's all these people who want to help. And maybe the future is a universal fit prosthetic. Maybe the future is we have so many more of these vans going around. But um, there there is such a need for accessibility. So, um, yes. Well, <clears throat> let me share with you a quick story that it really highlights why you don't need super high tech prosthetics to change someone's life. Yeah. Um, a, a little while back, I don't know, probably eight or 10 years ago, we were contacted by a group and I'm not going to put names out there cause I have to protect people's HIPAA situation. Course, yeah. Um, but there was a woman with albinism. And in some African countries, it's very sick 
But if you have albinism, you are considered to have the devil in you. And there are people who will maim or kill people with albinism and then literally take their bones and essentially create that's awful. like it's horrific they will create like a stew and then ingest that and then they think because they've now in effect ingested the devil they are a stronger person so that being said there was a young woman with a very young child who survived an attack, she lost both of her arms above the elbow. So this woman came to our practice, and we were able to fit her with new prostheses. And knowing that she was only going to be with us for about three weeks, you don't want to do anything super high-tech, because if that fails when she's back in her country, then we've done her a disservice. So we set her up with very functional arms with extra things that we knew might break, but that she could easily have replaced. We sent her home with all kinds of extra equipment. Not only when she got home was she able to function again in society, but she started a sewing business and then she employed other women some with albinism, some not, and to this day has a very nice community business going. So someone who otherwise was completely out of luck um, is doing fantastic now. That's insane. That's an incredible story. And I think really that is my goal. I want to create these prosthetics that can change someone's life. Um, And... I mean, that's what I want to do with my universal fit prosthetic. I want to bring these people without any prosthetics a possibility to regain their abilities and just live their life to the fullest. And I mean, I want to bring up a story that I heard from um, my boss of my internship this summer. And he was telling me how he had this cousin who lost his leg in 2003 and with the technology back then not being as good, he had this prosthetic that was super heavy and uncomfortable, and he wouldn't want to move around. Um, he ended up gaining a lot of weight and was immobile and didn't go anywhere. And it was really tough for my boss to see his brother go through all of this. Um, and so I think it's really like initiatives like this that can make a difference here. And I, I mean, I'm, I just hope that I can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, you're 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 going in the right direction, and we need more young, bright individuals like you working on these problems. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Um, so now, do you have any other stories that you could tell from uh, your work that are just fascinating pieces or stories or anything like that? Um, like just so some other fun stories. So it's been quite some time, but. Uh, There was an individual, and again, we're not going to mention names, but he's very easy to look up online, and it's a great story. He was a pilot in the Air Force, and unfortunately, he had a motorcycle accident, and he lost his leg above the knee. And after a bit of rehab, he became the first above-knee 
amputee to return to flying Air Force Two. Flying vice president. And technology was a big part of that. So that was that was a big win for everybody. That's that's very cool. So I I mean I don't think I'm supposed to talk about this much, but um I did an internship at Walter Reed Military Hospital and I saw a lot of these scenarios where they're fitting these unique, like tight, like very advanced prosthetics on these military amputees to help them like sometimes even return to active duty and fight. Uh, so I think stuff like that and um, just this high tech, innovative ways that people are approaching the field of prosthetics, it's really incredible. And um, yeah, I, I mean, just let me know if you have any more stories. Right. And then one, one final story, which is very much a feel-good story, sort of really paints the picture of the human spirit can do anything. We worked with an individual starting at a very young age. I think he was three or four when I first started working with him. And he had what we refer to as congenital malformation. So he was born this way. Yeah. He was what we would also refer to as a quadrimembral. So he was missing all four limbs, both arms below the elbow and both legs below the knee. Oh, wow. So as you can imagine, the idea of being in water, be it a lake, an ocean, or a swimming pool, scared him to death. Well, we started with him, like I said, at a very young age. He had a real love for sports. So he started playing different sports. And then he said, I would like to see what it's like in a swimming pool. So we ultimately did make him some swimming apparatus. And he actually, it took a bit of time, but he took to it. Well, ultimately, this individual went on to win a gold medal in the Paralympics. Yeah, that's really amazing. Wow. I think, I mean, that's really one of my favorite things. I, uh, I, I currently teach this um, swimming program where I coach disabled children to swim. Uh, and often they have, I mean, a lot of them have mental disabilities. Some of them have physical disabilities. And just seeing them love the sport and do something that I didn't even think was possible um, is just a really rewarding experience. And I mean, to get someone with these disabilities to win the Paralympics is amazing. That's, that's honestly so inspirational. Um, yeah. So it's it, really, yeah, you, yeah. you just never know. Yeah. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next one. This is the prosthetic experience.